So today will be our last Sunday in this uh, sermon series. Um, That may surprise you. I know I said early on that it would be a four-part series, and we've only done three, but I always reserve the right to change my mind. And I feel as if our time today will be an excellent opportunity for us to, to neatly conclude this series. We've been looking at these verses from the book of Deuteronomy that we know as the Shema. It's this prayer of Israel, and it starts with that word in Hebrew, Shema, the word means listen. And so that first work, that first week, we, we looked at the Shema, but we also understood that when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he responded with the words of the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That first week, we saw how the nature of God demands that people accept His his unique holiness, His unique aloneness in the span of all creation. And that if we are to live our lives as God intends, then we must begin by living under God's authority through honoring His unique status. Last week, we looked at what Jesus, how Jesus responds to that exact same question, what is the greatest commandment? Not in Matthew, but in Mark, because there is different things in Mark than there was in Matthew. And we saw last week that loving God with our entire being is the key to true worship. And that if we are to love God, then we must figure out what it looks like to love Him completely, without reservation, and with our entire being. This week... We're, we're moving beyond just those first couple of verses in Deuteronomy 6 that we've been looking at, and we're going to continue on through verse 9. So we are in the book of Deuteronomy this morning, the sixth chapter. We're going to start with the fourth verse, and we're going to read through verse 9. And verses 4 and 5 are not on the, not on the slides, so just be aware of that. But we're going to... We're going to read verse 4 and 5, and then 6 through 9. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Listen. Shema, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them. To your children, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let us pray. Dear God, as we Open your word this morning as we, as we look once again at these, these commands from Deuteronomy. God, I pray that your word would be written on our heart, that, that it would be bound to our hands and to our mind, that we would write them on the doorpost of our houses and on the city gates. And as we Study your word this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts are acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. Maybe may be seated. 
So I realized this week that there's an important question that we have not asked and answered as we've looked at these passages from Deuteronomy, and that is, what exactly is Deuteronomy? Okay, it's a book in the Old Testament. It's the last of the, of the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. Sometimes we call that the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. Sometimes it's called the Torah, the, the five books that are seen to be written by Moses, understood to have been written by Moses. It's the last one of those. But it's more than that. Deuteronomy, actually, if you go back and you read the very first few verses of the first chapter, you see that Deuteronomy is the farewell address of Moses to the people. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Moses, but just in case you need a refresher, Moses is a Hebrew who was born into slavery in Egypt. Around the time that he is born, the Pharaoh decrees that all male Hebrew children are to be killed. His mother, of course, cannot do that. And so she takes him and she places him in a basket, sticks him in the River Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter actually is the one who finds him. She finds him, she adopts him, he's raised in Pharaoh's house until he is a young man, at which time he sees a slave driver abusing one of his people, abusing a Hebrew slave, and so he beats the man to death. Now guilty of murder, he runs and he runs off and he spends most of what we would think of as being his life living in exile away from Egypt. It's there that he marries, he's a shepherd, and one day he's out tending to his business. And God comes to him. And God calls him. And God says, Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt to lead my people out of Egypt to lead my people out of slavery. I'm going to rescue and redeem my people, and I need you to lead them. Moses balks. Moses asks him to send someone else. Moses refuses, but eventually Moses goes back. And the people are led out of Egypt. And as they're led out of Egypt, God does all of these signs and wonders, condemns all of these miracles to ensure that this happens. And eventually the people found them, find themselves at Mount Sinai where God gives them the law. But then something happens as they are getting ready to come into the promised land. Moses sends spies into the land to see what is going to happen. To see what the land is like. Since 12, 10 come back and say they're too big, they're too strong, they're too well fed, they're too powerful, they're too much military might, we can't do it. Joseph and Joshua and Caleb come back. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb come back. They said, We can do it, we can take them. God is on our side. Is it a land flowing with milk and honey? And yes, they are big, but our God is bigger. And the people don't go in. And so, and so God tells the people, because you have done this, none of this generation will see the promised land. And so the people are forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation passes away. 
And that's where we are at the beginning of Deuteronomy. That generation has passed away. It has been 40 years. Moses himself is not going to be able to go into the promised land because he is of that generation. And so as he is getting ready to send them into the promised land, as he himself is getting ready to die, he gives this farewell address to the people that is recorded as the book of Deuteronomy. These are the words of Moses. Now we can assume... We can assume that there is at some point some editor, some additions that are added into the book because obviously Moses is not going to describe his own death and burial. And that happens in the book of Deuteronomy. But it's very clear that the rest of Scripture understands the majority of the book of Deuteronomy to be words spoken by Moses. These are his words to a new generation. Not the generation that failed to live into the promise of God, but the generation that is coming next. The generation that is going to go into the land. The generation that is going to take possession. The generation that is going to see the promise fulfilled. See, it was vital that the people get it right. Because if the Israelites are going to survive and thrive in the promised land, then they're going to have to transmit and pass on the faith. So this is Moses passing on to the new generation. And here in these verses that we read today are his instructions, his commandments coming from God as to how this faith I'm about to give to you, all of the stuff I'm about to say to you, this is how you need to pass it on to your children. Because see, it was understood that the family unit was going to have to become the primary place where faith in and love for the Lord was modeled and transferred. The parents were to teach God's commandments and statutes regularly to their children in everyday events. When we hear the Word of God and when we receive it into our hearts, the Holy Spirit can use that, right? And use the truth of that Word to transform us from within. A few weeks ago, we looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the Word of God. God writes His Word upon our hearts and then we become sort of living epistles, living letters, living manifestations of His Word out into the world that others may read, that others may see and and come to understand and see the Word of God living in us and can influence them to trust in Jesus. See, how we live is important because how we live backs up what we say. Who has ever heard or used the expression, do as I say, not as I do? How often does that work? Not very often, right? I remember, and I really hope mom and dad aren't watching this morning, I remember the first time that I got in trouble for using a certain big, heavy, four-letter word. And I'm getting fussed at. I'm probably 12 or 13 years old. I'm getting fussed at. And my father makes the mistake of asking me a question. My father asks the question, well, son, what I want to know is where did you hear that word? And in an instant, I was no longer in trouble. 
Because in an instant, Mama turned on him. Well, Stacia, I wonder where he heard it. We can say all the time, do as I say, but not as I do. But it doesn't work because they do what we do. Our children follow us and emulate us. Yesterday, I was doing some basic maintenance on some cha- our dining room chairs. And Jamie spent the entire time watching me, observing me, seeing what I was doing. He's four months old, and I'm fairly certain he can fix the chair now. As soon as he gets the motor skills down, he's got it. Our kids do that. They watch what we do, and they follow that. See, that's why Moses is admonishing parents to discuss God's Word in the home and among the children, but also to allow the Word of God to guide their, man, their minds and their hands as they work throughout the day. It is good, it is right, and it should be done more often for families to read through devotionals together, to have regular family teaching and worship times. But such things need to be combined with the powerful witness of a godly lifestyle that incorporates the Word of God into each day's routine. Notice how regularly Israel was told to speak of the things of God. When you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Guess what, folks? That just about covers it. There's not a whole lot that's not covered in those four things. Moses was concerned about the passing on of the faith to the next generation because he wanted to make sure that it was there for them. I've said this before, but I'll, I'll remind you of this. And there are a couple of different places that it's come from, but, but there's this idea that one generation believes One generation believes the gospel. The next generation assumes the gospel. And the third generation forgets and denies the gospel. Moses didn't want to see that happen. He wanted to make sure that the faith was actively passed down. The covenant was actively renewed each day in each person's life in each generation. So Moses takes this image of writing the words of God on their doorposts and on their city gates. Have any of you ever been in a Jewish person's home? Sometimes if you ever, if you ever have the opportunity to be in a Jewish person's home, there on the doorpost to their home will be, be a, a, a tiny box. And inside that box there is a scroll with these words of the Shema written down. It is on the doorposts of their house and very observant Jews every time they go in or out of the door will touch that mezuzah and recite the words of the Shema. Write them on the doorposts of your houses. Put them on your city gates. Now I'm not entirely sure that what God means here is means for us to actually literally do it, although I'm not entirely sure there's anything wrong with that. If it's done from an, from an appropriate attitude and done to help us to remember. But, but what he's taking here is this image of somebody who, is, who is, takes a hammer and a chisel. Because I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Israel. There's not a lot of timber. Their homes are stone. 
Their city gates are stone. And so the image here is of a stone carver, an engraver who takes a hammer and chisel in his hand and with painstaking care etches text into the face of solid stone. That's not an easy task. There's a lot of labor involved in that. But once done, the message is there to stay. This is the idea that generations of Israelites must are to come to receive and transmit the word of God's everlasting covenant revelation. Note here how the words and how the commandment is to be implemented. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Incorporate them into your everyday life. Put them on your body, on your hands, and on your head. And then on your home and on your city. In this manner, the person and his entire family and community become identified as people of God. Parents are to impress the Word on their children's mind and make it the subject of natural, everyday conversation within family life. Displaying the truth on their doorposts and gates makes it unmistakably clear to their neighbors that this family is committed to God's unchanging, infallible, inerrant, and yet always relevant Word. They tell everybody where the household stands. The instructions are to be public, but also personal. Put them, yes, on the doorpost of your houses and on your city gates, but also bind them to your hands and your forehead. Because, because it doesn't just need to be public proclamation. It needs to be private and personal action that, that testifies to commitment and, and intent. You know, I think that we are worried about the exact same thing today that Moses was worried about as he stood on the border of the promised land speaking to the people. We are concerned about the transmission of the faith to the next generation. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to ask you a very serious question, and I want you to think about it. What generation are you in? Are you in the generation that believes? Are you in the generation that assumes? Or are you in the generation that has forgotten and denies? What generation are you in? What generation are your children in? What generation are your grandchildren in? You know, our society today is a little different than that generation of Israel that goes into the promised land. But there is still a need for us as covenant people to give our neighbors the opportunity to learn something about our personal faith. What would it look like for us to post the Word of God on the doorpost of our houses, on our city gate, on our hands, and on our 
heads. This is one of the reasons that I pray the benediction I do every week. Because it is my prayer that we would, in our thought, in our speech, in our actions, and in our moving in the world, be fully devoted to God. That we would be completely and totally sold out for Him. That in every aspect of our life and our interaction with the world, that people would see that we are God's people. The Word of God is to be total and all-consuming. It is to influence every aspect of our lives. There is no aspect of our life that is not under the purview of the Master. There is not one aspect of our lives that is not under the control of the Creator. There is not one aspect of, the, of our lives that is not to be offered to the King as tribute. We are masters at compartmentalizing our lives. We are masters at saying, God gets this and not this. We are champion Olympians, gold medalists at saying, God can have Sunday morning and Wednesday night and maybe one or two other hours of the month, but my job, my checking account, my personal life, my sex life, the way I interact with my neighbors, the way I buy my groceries, the way I treat people who wait on my table when I go to the restaurant, God doesn't get that. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we live this out every day? You know, there is an ever-increasing number of people in our communities who never attend a local church. There is an ever-increasing people in our community that have never heard the gospel. They maybe have heard the words. They maybe have an outline of it. They maybe can tell you, oh yeah, Jesus came. He's the Son of God. He came and lived and died for our sins. But they've never internalized it. They have no relationship with Him. They have no ongoing commitment to Him and to the Gospel. I think it's really easy for us to see that in places like Seattle or Portland or New York or D.C. or even in Raleigh. I think it's harder for us to see it in places like Fairmont. Because there's an underlying cultural Christianity here. I'm a good person. I'm a decent, I'm a decent citizen. I take care of my stuff. So I'm a Christian. Brothers and sisters, if everybody who lived in Robinson County who claims to be a Christian actually had a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, would we have the issues in our community that we have? If everybody who was in our churches who claimed to be a Christian actually was a Christian and had a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, would we have our churches in the state that they are in? I think the answer to both of those questions is no. It's important for us to get creative. People aren't going to come in the door. They're out there. The days where we could open the front door and people could, would come in are done. They're over. They're gone. They're never coming back.
Our culture is different than the culture of the people going into Israel. Our culture is different than the culture that many of us grew up in. I grew up in a military community. Man, people were moving in and out all the time. The first thing that people did when they moved into town was they went and looked for a church. That doesn't happen anymore. People aren't doing that. And we can sit and we can moan about it and we can talk about how awful it is or we can get creative and we can do something about it. We can go out where the people are. We can, we can use our homes for friendly hospitality. We can host coffee mornings and informal occasions for our neighbors to meet a Christian speaker so that those that live around them are not ignorant of the Gospel, but in a relaxed, relational context, able to share their doubts and their uncertainties, and come to hear the Gospel. We, we need to be engaging our neighbors. Several months ago, we talked about an opportunity that we have called Bless Every Home. It's an opportunity to, to gather and to intentionally pray for the people around us. We talked about it. It never got implemented. It never got done. That's on me. But we're going to be doing that. We're going to be implementing that. We're going to begin engaging our neighbors in prayer. We're going to start there. We've also got to pass along the faith to the kids, to the youths. Passing along the truth of God's character and person must be a top priority for us. We cannot expect to love others rightly if we have not given the love of God first importance. When it comes to our relationship with God, whether it is as individuals or as communities of faith, listening and understanding are crucial for healthy relationship. How does the Shema start? Listen, Israel. Hear. To love God with all that we are is to be integrated with taking His words and, whole, and our whole lives serious and passing them on to the next. We simply don't love God if we are not carefully attending to His word. That, that purposeful approach to spiritual training, that effort to welcome the Lord to be a part of all aspects of our lives is how parents and grandparents can transfer on to their children and their grandchildren a biblical worldview so that God is their point of reference as they navigate their choices. That was God's agenda for His people in Moses' day, and it's God's agenda for His people Today, This responsibility does not rest on the government or on the schools or even on the church. The family carries the primary responsibility for passing along the torch of faith as the church supports the parents in the work. The average church only has 40 hours a year to influence a child. A parent has on average 3,000 hours a year to influence a child. The church is important, 
but we must be partnering with parents to help them. That's one of the reasons that in our Sunday school classes and in our small groups, we use the Gospel Project curriculum because it helps parents and kids be on the same page to foster gospel and spiritual conversations on the way home and on the dinner table and over the course of the week. So we have to ask ourselves, all of this, all of this command to to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to take His Word and write it on our hearts, to bind it to our hands, to put it on the doorpost of our housings, what does it look like for us here at Fairmont First Baptist? First, like I said, we're going to be implementing Bless Every Home. So pay attention to the Facebook page and the newsletter and the website as that happens over the next week or two. I would encourage you to to sign up for that, to sign up to be praying for the people around you every day. Second, brothers and sisters, we have to be more active in our community. If we are going to write to carve the Word of God on the doorpost of our houses and on the gates of our town, we've got to be out in the town. Out in the world. Yes, we are called to be not to be of the world, but we are called to be in the world. We are sent into the world by Jesus to proclaim His Word. Go, therefore. You can't go when you're sitting at home. We can't be in the world if all we do is we sit here on Sunday morning or sit at home. You know, when I got here three years and 17 days ago, this congregation did not have an evangelism committee. A Baptist church did not have an evangelism committee. And outreach and evangelism still read as second or third class concerns in this congregation. I know we've had a pandemic, and I know that to a certain extent I have responsibility. But we have to be out in the world meeting people not like us who aren't part of our holy huddle and proclaiming the Word of God. This is going to be a serious priority for our congregation over the next several years. I will remind you that within three miles of where we sit right now, there are 3,500 people who do not know Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there are plenty of people around us who need to hear the gospel. There is no lack of harvest. There's a lack of workers. Third, we have to rethink how and what we are doing for our children, youth, and families. I don't have to tell you, we don't have a lot of those things. Do we? This is a question, and I want, I want a legitimate raising of hands here. How many of you have kids or grandkids that don't attend church and that aren't passing on the faith? What generation are you in? Are you believing, assuming, or denying? 
It's not the church that passes on the faith. It must be the parent's job. But the church must, the church has to be part of that equation. The church is where parents can come to be resourced and guided and supported in that process. This is going to be another of our top priorities over the next several years. To rebuild our children, youth, and family programming and ministry. So this is going to mean that we're going to have to ask ourselves some tough questions. We're going to have to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing right? When it comes to outreach and children and families, what are we doing right? We've got to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing wrong? What tools at our disposal are we leveraging to proclaim His Word? What tools at our disposal are we not leveraging to proclaim His Word? What can we be doing better than what we're doing? All of this is about bringing intentionality to what we do. The worship of God is not something. The worship of God cannot be something that we do thoughtlessly and out of habit. That's not true worship. Because that's not giving God our whole self. True worship requires an awareness of God's character and our need of Him and how we approach Him. An ongoing study of His Word on our own and in community with others will allow us to worship Him as He desires as a heart committed to Him longs to do. If we are to honor the Lord with our lives, then we must make every effort to store His Word in our hearts, to make it present in our lives, and to pass it on to the next generation. And so this morning, as we get ready to end our time together this morning, we're going to have a slightly different invitation. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward this morning. What I'm going to ask is this. We have some decisions in front of us about who we are going to be and what we are going to do. We have some opportunities in front of us to serve our community, to reach out into our current community, and to proclaim the Word of God. And so as we get ready to sing our hymn of invitation this morning, which is going to be a hymn number 405, Have Faith in God, before we stand to worship Him, I want us to stand in commitment that we are going to be a church that reaches out to the community, that we're going to be a church that does the things that this commandment asks us to do, that we're going to have these conversations with our children and our grandchildren, that we're going to bind them to our hands and to our foreheads, that we're going to write them on the doorpost of our houses. Will you stand if you want to be that kind of church? That, to me, looks like it's unanimous. Brothers and sisters, there is so much that we can do, and there is so much opportunity in front of us. As we leave here today, I want you to remember this commitment, and I want us to have faith in God. 405, have faith in God.